0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. A church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: Today we're going to talk about repentance and faith. And all of this is outlined from Acts chapter 2. This is a way of us talking about what we as a church believe. And um, Acts chapter 2, this is right at Pentecost. It's not in your handout, so I'm going to read it. But um, so Peter is addressing all of the people that are there at Pentecost. And he goes through and he walks through you know, the history of God reaching out to man. And he concludes in... Um, Acts 2, 36, if you have your Bibles, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And there were added that day around 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came uh, upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. So that's, that is the outline, the gospel first, which Craig um, talked about last week, and now um, repentance and belief. So last week when Craig spoke, he talked about the good news. And just as a reminder, it's something that has happened it's not good advice. Good advice is on you. <laughs> you have to perform. Good news is something that has already happened. Um, and that's what we long for. We long for the good news um, and its best seen against the backdrop of bad news, which is that I have, um, I have sinned and I have not measured up and I have... Um, uh, I need forgiveness. Simply being loved, as uh, Craig very beautifully told the story last week, um, and forgiven can bring about change. So, when we talk about repentance and belief, we're gonna we're gonna talk about three different things. Then we're gonna have um, read Luke eleven and talk about how that works out in that story. So, the three questions, the three things we're going to cover are first, uh, why should we be concerned with repentance? And if we should be concerned, then what repentance is, how repentance manifests itself in our lives, and then the illustration. So, first, um, should we, why should we be concerned with repentance? Well, it was commanded in what we just read, uh, Acts 2 37 and 38. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said, What do we do? They said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. So that was Peter said that, and then Jesus commanded to repent. Um, On your sheet, the first verse, somebody want to read that one? Mark 1 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Yeah, so John had prepared the way. Jesus had been baptized and tempted. This is the beginning of his ministry. And the verse right before that said, Now after John was arrested, Je- Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying that we need to repent and believe the gospel. So he calls us to repent. And then Matthew four seventeen. Anyone want to read that?
2: From the time Jesus began to preach saying
1: repent, for the kingdom of heaven. Is at so you notice that he, um, he has tied belief to uh, repentance to belief in the gospel. Repentance is central to the life of a Christian. Uh, when he says in Luke 13:3 uh, the third verse, "No I tell you unless you repent you will all likewise perish." So repenting and believing in the gospel, those two key concepts Jesus mentions at the start of his ministry. So the gospel, as Greg stated, and I can't say it often enough, is what God has provided for us by way of rescue through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's good news, not good advice. So we should be concerned with repentance, um, but what is it? It's not simply, and we all know this, it's not simply I need to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. Um, It's it's a lot more than that. It is, so what is repentance? It is literally a change of your mind and direction from justifying yourself um, to agreeing with God's standard. Not my own standard, but God's. So it's a change of mind followed by a change in direction. And the Greek, and you probably heard this, it's metanoia. Meta means change like metamorphosis. And noia is thinking. So it's a change in your mind. um, Complete change of thinking and direction. So what repentance is not. Repentance is not attrition, which is just defined as regret for sin accompanied by a fear of what's going to happen to me so that's kind of key um, it's the oh no I got caught what's going to happen to me um, or remorse which is more like what Judas did he, he had that regret but he was, he was more prompted by fear for himself it's closer to a word called contrition which is regret for the offense against God's love and for having grieved him, it's more like when David sinned, and he said um, in Psalm fifty-one, "Against you and you only have I sinned." That's what's broken his heart. He said, "I've gone against God, and not what's going to happen to me." I don't think this verse. Oh, this is the next verse, verse, the fourth one. Anyone want to read Second Corinthians seven ten?
2: For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief
1: produces death. Yeah. Sam Storms um, defined repentance this way, and I, I really like this uh, definition. He says, Genuine repentance begins but by no means ends with a heartfelt conviction of sin. It begins with an unequivocal, heartrending recognition of having defied God by embracing what he despises and hating or at a minimum being indifferent toward what he law laud- he what he adores. So it involves you do need to know God's law um, in order to know how I have transgressed it. Um, this is wrong, I've sinned, God is grieved. So the antithesis of this recognition is is rationalization, and we all do it. We do it every day. Um, rationalization is, a, is defined as a selfish attempt to justify one's moral laxity by a number of appeals, and we all recognize it because we do, at least I do. Um, our brains are wired for self-justification, so when we're confronted with something that we've done that's wrong, the first thing we do may be blame-shifting. You know, it was my parents, it was my husband, it was my kids, it was my circumstances. Um, We minimize it by blaming others, and it's as old as Adam and Eve. Adam said it was, you know, Eve, the woman you gave me, (laughs) and Eve said it was the serpent, um, but not taking responsibility. The other is um, self pity I'm a victim. Uh, If you knew what I'd been through in my life, then How badly people have treated me, you'd grant me a little slack. Um, Even spiritualizing, saying God wants me to be happy. Um, There's a great quote from um, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones of why it is so hard for us to see our own sin. We can see others, but it's very hard for us to see our own sin, and this is how it goes. He says, you will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there is a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves. (laughs) Even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There's only one way to know that we are sinners, and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. In other words, we don't feel the weight of our sin because of our sin. That's why I love that place in uh, Acts 2 where he says they were cut to the heart. That was something that broke through. Um, J.I. Packer says repentance only begins when one passes out of what the Bible sees as self-deception. Modern counselors call denial. And into what the Bible calls conviction of sin. Um, So the way that repentance and belief will often manifest itself is recognizing idols. And we don't realize that we form these in our own minds. Um, You know, that's the sin under the sin. So, for example, I lied. It's a sin. I confess my sin. I lied and I do it again. Why? Why did I do it again? It's because there's an idol in my life and everyone has a different may have a different reason for lying. It may be the um, idol of approval. I want people to approve of me, so I'm going to lie to make myself look better. That's the sin. It's, that's what I think is going to make me uh, feel fulfilled. Or power idolatry, um, control, success. Tim Keller has a whole list of about 15 different idolatries that we fall into. And when you're trying to figure out why is it that I keep going back into it, it's because I haven't confessed the deeper sin. Um, so that's why it, um, repentance would be accompanied by a change in behavior. Uh, Jesus said, I think we just read, no, the last verse on there, Luke 3, 11, He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So our behaviors changed when we repent. Um, In fact, Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts 26, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. So we can't pursue God in our own way at the same time. We're either going to be orienting our life towards God And his light or our own devices and desires. Um, And there's a cost to sin. It's not something that we can take lightly. We know there's a cost. uh, And through Jesus' death and resurrection, we're rescued and redeemed from the penalty. But also the power. And that's why there can be a real change in our lives. So to sum that up, repentance is not merely a fear of punishment. But it's, it's rooted in a realization of my offense toward God, um, in a high view of God and not myself. And it's a description of what has happened when you realize that you're forgiven. Um, so I just ask you and I ask myself this, what is it that we look to for self-justification Um, Our main sin, the sin that underlies all the rest of them, are uh, what some have referred to as God substitutes. Um, And this is a really relevant topic today because the great lie of our day is that you find yourself by living for yourself. Uh, There's an article in New York Times. I looked for it. I, I, I had this in the last time I, I gave this, and I Googled it, and now I can't find it, so it's disappeared for some reason. But it was in New York Times on how to live for you and only you. Um, sin, prom- and I don't know where I got this quote, but I love this quote: Sin promotes the illusion that disobedience is the most secure or pleasurable, is more secure or pleasurable than the pilgrimage of faith. So repentance is radical, um, because we built our lives around these, um, God substitutes. Sorry about this. Um, and, uh, believing that they're going to give us meaning in life. Um, but Jesus is asking us like he did to his disciples to leave our nets and follow him. And it's a supernatural action, um, Only the Holy Spirit has the power to change the heart of a sinner. It may be painful at first, but it involves a burden lifted, which leads to true joy. I am forgiven. I am accepted. I am a son. Um, Finally, there is a quote. You know, I don't know if y'all have... This Bible, it's the ESV study Bible. And in the back, there's so much good information, but there's a quote here. It says, The best evidence of true salvation is not having raised a hand or prayed a prayer or having been christened or baptized. Instead, the true test of an authentic work of God in one's life is sanctification as God continues the moral transformation begun in regeneration. So we've talked about what, um, why we should be concerned about repentance, what is repentance, and what's the evidence of repentance. Does anybody have questions or thoughts before we move on to Luke 15? So, you know, I think these concepts are often difficult to apply apply unless we have something that we can relate to and that's why i just love that jesus told the story in luke 15 it's often called the prodigal son but i think if we look at it clearly it's about two sons and um does anybody and we're meant to see ourselves in one or both of those two sons um is there anybody that would like to read luke 15 11 through 32
2: And when he had spent everything a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one
0: gave him
1: anything. And
2: that's the first paragraph.
1: Okay. okay. Uh-huh, that's fine. Anybody else or I can finish. I'll, I'll yeah, go ahead.
0: Okay. But when he came to himself he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here in the hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his uh, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off,
2: But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your commandments. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost
1: and is found. Mm. Thank y'all. So we're just going to, I'm going to ask a few questions for us to think about um, on this story. And the first one is, basically, who or what is this story about? We often hear it's prodigal son, but now that we're reading it out loud, who or what is the story about? Anybody? I think it's about God's forgiveness and acceptance. Yes. yes. And love. And yes. Eternal love. Yes, His grace and His mercy, no doubt. Anything else?
2: And it's also the older brother, you know, the, the, um, how offensive grace is, I think. Mm. And, um, his, his, uh, him trying to earn his own salvation and good standing and thinking he deserve something, um, and his
1: resentment of his brother for getting yeah. something he didn't deserve. And very well said. Yeah, you've got really two views of sin um, are illustrated or really two, two ways to reject the father, right? So the first one is the son. He's in the self-discovery, living as I want to live, um, first century version of you do you, <laughs> uh, follow your heart. That's what he's doing. I'm being my authentic self, and I would prefer you be dead, actually, yeah, I just want your things. Um, but then also the, the elder son, he's, he is, uh, has moral conformity also in order to get what his father, for his father to give him what he wants. So they're really kind of the same sin. It's just manifested in different ways. So let's look at the younger son. How did his actions harm the father? Um, and his elder brother. So he, his sin did have consequences on other people, as sin always does. Um, how did it harm them? Any thoughts there?
2: I mean, just practically speaking, if you think about a farm and trying to take care of it, you his older brother to do all
1: the work. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so there's really three ways that he harmed his father and his brother. Uh, the first one, uh, to your point, is financial. Um, he also took a third of the brother's land, so that that land, that property could have been gaining value all that time. So it's, it shrunk, and then he lost all of it. Um, there's also so there's financial, there's social, he brought shame to his family. There's no doubt. He's, he is in the most shameful place feeding pigs. And this is a Jewish family. Um, and just for him to leave like that shames his family. And then emotional. Um, he, he basically wanted his father dead so he could get his inheritance. And then his father and his family didn't know where he was. I mean, there's cell phone. You don't have GPS. I mean, you have no idea where he is. And he, they thought he was dead. And, um, so, so that pain as well. So what would you say was the turning point for the younger son? When he hit rock bottom. When he hit rock bottom. <laughs> yeah. I love that verse in 17 where he says, and he came to himself. It's sort of like that. He was cut to the heart. Second um, 2 Timothy 2.26 says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's God grants repentance, and um, we are serving someone. And if it's not God, it is, as Second Timothy two twenty six says, the devil. Uh, So, what was the younger son's plan, and how did the father's mercy override his plan? So he's sitting there in the uh, at the end of his rope, and what was he going to do? Just
2: come back and be a servant
1: yeah he i mean he he had a speech laid out of what he was going to do, and it was basically he's going to earn his way back in right that's what he was going to do but the father this just is overwhelming to me he covered his nakedness he gave him a ring which means he can sign now sign contracts on behalf of the family he is in at equal stature with uh, his brother and the father. He put shoes on his feet. He killed the fattened calf. Overwhelming, undeserved re- grace. He wouldn't even let him finish his speech. He's like, no, no, no. That's You don't have to do that. You are, you're my son. You're in. And that's what God has done for us. And when you have that overwhelming grace, does it not make you want to please your father? I mean, that's where that comes from. Um, how did the elder brother harm the father? You know, he he also obeyed in order to get things instead of love, out of love for the Father. He used the Father. He said, I, I obeyed and you never gave me this. Um, it's he had servitude without joy or celebration. He was it was not a joyful, thankful um, service. Uh, and Tim Keller says that a true elder brother would have seen his father's pain and gone after his younger brother, uh, which is what Jesus did. Um, some say that the main character was the elder brother. Why? Why would? You, why do you think people think that really it's not about the prodigal son, but it's about the elder brother? And that God will owe me, yeah. Um,
2: well, and, and also in the context of it, and who Jesus would have been speaking to. Yes, him, would have been to a bunch of folks who thought that they are in God's favor by, right. day, by adherence to the law.
1: Yep, very good. You know, that's what um, Craig was talking about last week with Paul. That Paul was that person, the student that you're talking about. He was the Pharisee. He knew the word. He knew God's law. He tried to follow it and he was he was lost um so you know again the elder son used the father to get what he wanted if i obey i'll get what i want and also another reason is the father is entreating the son too and it's a cliffhanger we don't know what the what the um elder son did so i think that makes us look back at ourselves am I seeking God's hand or am I seeking his face Um, so overall repentance involves not only um, of the wrong but also the reasons you did right (laughs) paired with faith faith believing what God says and trusting him leads to obedience so as we close I want to read and I think I have it on the back yes um, read along with me this The Heidelberg Catechism, this question, and I just love this reminder. um, What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your... um, overly abundant love and grace and mercy on us Uh, lord we ask you to help us to see our sin under our sin and repent knowing that you have fully accepted us and that we are welcomed in as a son we ask this in the name of jesus amen